Working drummer. Now kick it. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, serving up perspectives, experiences, and stories from ground-level working pros. Advice, tips, and secrets on how to build a career in the music business. Hey everyone, welcome to Working Drummer Podcast. I'm Zach Albetta, thanks for checking us out. Today I am talking with Bob Knight, who has made himself a very busy man in London over the last couple of decades. A graduate of the Royal Academy of Music, he is in high demand as a drummer with a long list of names you know, including Sting, CeeLo Green, and Charlotte Church, and he also owns his own booking company, BEK Music, which supplies musicians to an equally long and impressive list of acts. As always, you can find us at WorkingDrummer.net, where you can check out past episodes and learn more about who we are and what we're about. And if you'd like to donate to the podcast, either on a monthly basis through Patreon or a one-time basis through PayPal, you'll see buttons for both along the right side of our homepage. Patreon has some great incentives for you corresponding to different levels of donation, but we understand that not everyone wants to make that monthly commitment, so if you just want to throw us a few bucks in one shot on PayPal, we greatly appreciate that too. Just a heads up for you, we'll be doing a donation drive in the month of May. Donating will enter you to win some great stuff from our sponsors, including Crush, Vader, Aquarian, and Session Ace. If you haven't donated to the podcast yet, May will be a great time to do it, so be on the lookout for that. You can also follow us on social media and share pics and videos of your gigs on Instagram using the hashtag WorkingDrummer. We're reposting things pretty frequently there. Lastly, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher, and your ratings and reviews on those platforms are very helpful. These days, in-ear monitors are almost required equipment for working drummers. Problem is, a lot of them don't sound very good, and the ones that do are really expensive. Session Ace solves both of these problems with high-quality dual-driver ears for $99 and quad drivers for only $199. Using a hybrid design combining armature and dynamic drivers, the frequency response is as good or better than anything you'll find up to $1,000. And the accessory package that comes with every pair includes cable extensions, quarter-inch adapters, and a huge variety of ear tips so you're sure to get the right fit and feel. Matt and I have been using these ears for a few months now, putting them through the paces both live and in the studio, and I'd recommend them to any pro musician who needs full, clear sound in their ears but doesn't have a grand just laying around. I'd even recommend them to the cats who do have a grand laying around. Truthfully, I put off buying ears for a long time, and these saved me from having to drop a ton of money or getting stuck with bad sound. Visit sessionace.com slash working drummer to check them out along with the other tools and accessories Sessionace offers. Once again, that's sessionace.com slash working drummer. So I had a great time talking with Bob. He is an opinionated dude, and both his opinions and the way he expresses them made me smile. So here we go. Hope you dig my talk with Bob Knight. If you would, just start by giving us a a picture of what what your average week looks like there. Uh, Average week? Uh, Well, I don't know if there is an average week, really. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not I'm not with anybody at the moment. If if you see what I mean, I'm not anybody's drummer. I'm just uh kind of odd odds and sods and one offs. Mm-hmm. So average week at the moment is I I'm practicing a lot at the moment because I haven't done any practice for twenty years. Um well maybe nineteen years, but I kind of <laughs> I mean I'm sure the same as everybody else, you know, once you're working kind of like that you know i sit down to work out new songs and transcribe shit for gigs and and maybe practice you know play it but mm-hmm. in terms of actual development I haven't really sat down and busted my own chops for since you know since i left college i don't think yeah because i've been busy working and hustling and all that shit so i'm actually trying to practice a bit at the moment and then just you know, whatever whatever gigs are in is is kind of where I'm at. So, at the moment, what did I do? A couple of TVs last week with Sting and Shaggy, which was good fun. Mm-hmm. Um, what else did I do last week? Oh, prepping prepping for a tour uh, that got cancelled yesterday, so that was a waste of time. <laughs> um, I'm 
gonna I'm gonna sit in on a show in town, which I've never done before. So I went to watch the show and just get a feel for the terrible pressure that's involved with that. Um, when you say a show, one. are you talking about a TV show or like a theater show? A theater show, a West End show. Oh, nice. I've never, I, I've never done any theater. Um, well, I mean, I did when I was a kid, but I haven't done any sort of you know professional Broadway West End type stuff. So my mate is, is the drummer on one. He's like, you should come and have a look. So. All right, fuck it. Let's go and have a look. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that'll be good. A bit, it's kind of a whole other world, isn't it? It I, is. I think the most of it's to click mm-hmm. these days. I think a lot of them are. So I'll be I'll be all right on those bits. But it's the um, trying to follow the wobbly hand. <laughs> uh, now I haven't done that since I, you know since I was at school. Yeah. Everybody, you know, I think everybody follows our wobbly hands, don't they? So right, right. They that's try. Gonna, <laughs> that's going to be. Um, that's going to be interesting, but I, thought, I figured it'd be a good discipline, and haven't done a reading gig for a while, so maybe just just good to put myself in a weird pressure yeah. situation. And what show is it? Ship, ship or not. Uh, it's uh, Bat Out of Hell. It's a Jim Steinman. Hmm. Uh, it's all meatloaf songs, basically. Oh so wow! Just, <laughs> just a big on heavy rock gig. It's gotcha. quite. I mean, my dad used to like meatloaf. Kind of was like, oh fuck, I know this one. Oh, I know this one. Right, right. Oh, yeah, I know this one too. <laughs> so it was a bit weird. Really. It's kind of a nostalgic trip, but yeah, I know. I don't know when I'm going to do it, but I'm going to go in and do it at some point. So I was like, fuck it, might as well have a yeah, might as well have a look. Um, and other than that, like I don't know if you know, but I, I, as well as uh, playing drums, I run an agency. So, yeah, I, um, I did know that, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you. Um, and yeah. we'll we'll get to that for sure. Um, yeah. So but so the average week definitely involves uh, more tapping on keyboards. Than, mm-hmm. than possibly people would expect um and going to see a lot of shows i went to i, I booked a keyboard player on harry styles i went to see her show at, at uh the o2 last night which was really good um night before that i was at snow patrol um and then i had another gig to go to last weekend that was so memorable forgot what it was but so it had quite a lot just you know I, re- I really like to go and see as many gigs as i can because i think for a long time like with my drumming it's I'm a big fan of live albums, and so I spent a lot of time listening to like live albums with Gad and and uh, you know and all the greats and thinking, oh fuck, I'm rubbish. You know, how am I going <laughs> to ever be as good as that? Right. Um, and I kind of lost a bit of perspective as to what as to how people you know act, you know what people what people are playing mm-hmm. on gigs and and what and what drums sound like live in a room rather than you know when other people are playing them mm-hmm. rather than you know how they sound on records even when they're recorded as live so um so that's why i was trying to always try and make an effort to see as much music as possible just to keep on to keep myself kind of in the loop with maybe i'm not quite as shit as i thought i was <laughs> right and as as far as live sound like has has going to see shows um kind of changed how how you approach um you know drumming or tuning or or any of that when when you're playing a live show I think just really dynamics. Mm-hmm. I mean, because I, I studied jazz for a long time, at kind of like I've always had a fairly good grasp on dynamics, mm-hmm. um, and you know, as a as a as a way of really helping to shape a song and to and to, you know, just just boosting it slightly in a chorus, brick coming down in a verse, like all this really fucking obvious stuff. But I think when I go and see people play, especially younger like uh, guys or people from who've been to colleges that maybe aren't as in depth as the one you know, that I went to, that seems to be the one thing that's missing. And also when I watch a lot of drum videos online, the shit that people, everybody just posts video of themselves playing on their own now, which is mm-hmm. weird, but yeah, it, nobody plays any dynamics. Everyone just fucking plays as loud as balls all yeah. the time. Right? <laughs> it's and the same with chip with chops. It's like it, the, the phrasing of fills and, and you know, and the way you articulate around the drum kit, like there's so much of that is, is in the dynamic mm-hmm. and, and it just feel like, a lot of the things I watch, it's just everything's a, everything's a triple F and the ghost notes are at MF or something. Right, you know, it's right. like, like there's not much nuance. So I, I, so I like to try and you know build you know use that kind of element of music to make my playing you know as expressive and as supportive. Most of the stuff I do is with singers, so to, I just want to try and support them. But I I also you know when I play loud, I want it to be really fucking loud and when i play quiet i want it to be really quiet right you know, i don't want i want the extreme of dynamics yeah rather yeah. than and know. that's especially possible in in live situations and especially in more intimate 
spaces. Um, yeah. Which I think is yeah, something that's I, I lost mean, for a lot of drummers. I think so too. It's usually, yeah. I, I think I, I prefer to play big theater mm-hmm. than, an, than, than an arena mm-hmm. or, or, you know, or anything, or anything else really like in London, you know, like Shepherd's Bush empire is, is, is a great theater to play. You can pretty much see everybody's face. Right. But it's still a big enough room that you can really, you know, let go. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and bigger than that, like Hammersmith Apollo is, is a wicked place to play. And obviously very, they're both very historic, but you can still be very ex- expressive on those side stages. Anything bigger than that, you know, I think it's kind of stuff. Gets, you know, when I go to, I've been to arena shows and see people like sw- switching out the snare drum of every, every song and switching their ride cymbal. It's like, mm-hmm. it's a fucking arena, dude. Like, <laughs> you know, unless, unless you're going from a 10 inch, snare drum to a you know 10 by 2 to a 14 by 8 it's not you know it just gets lost in the room doesn't it right. for me you know right it's, yeah it's, you, whereas if you do if you if you're making those kind of changes in a theater i can totally see the point of it you know? mm-hmm. i mean obviously all of this depends on the front of house guy being sympathetic to what you're trying to achieve right and, and not and not what he's trying to achieve which i think sometimes a lot of drummers don't have don't talk to front of house about mm-hmm. their sound and mm-hmm. about what they're trying to like this is the sound I'm going for. Oh man, I gated the shit out of it and EQ'd all the top end off. All right. Well that that that's not what my ten by three snare drum's for. But do you know what I mean? So I think, I think that communication is it's so important, you know, to have a musical front of house guy. Right. And how do you, how do you like, approach that communication? I was, I was talking with uh, Peter Erskine about this a couple of weeks ago about, you know, how and when and, and whether to, you know, talk with, uh, with front of house people about the drum sound. I, I try, I was trying to do it in rehearsal. So mm-hmm. if, you know, depending on the size of the gig and, and what the money is and all that kind of budget situation, but you know, front of house should at least be in, some of the rehearsal period mm-hmm. and, 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 and at that point if, if they're receptive to what I'm trying to do then 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 I'll say look on this tune I'll, you know depends where you are with monitors as well but so you know I, I hate gates mm-hmm. on toms and things I want my drums to sound like I want them to sound so that's usually where it starts like oh is there a gate on this yeah yeah cool take that off if you wouldn't mind ever so much um, you know because all that that's that stuff's for them to to help with the vocal right but, which I'm sympathetic to, but at the end of the day, it's like you can't literally close the door on on the on the tone on tonality because it helps. You know, you be, you have to be good at mixing, don't you? Right. They're not mutually exclusive. If if your sound guy uh, knows no, what he's doing, certainly not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so you, it usually starts with gates and then and then and then, and then progresses onto like I'm using these symbols for this reason and why is the like if, I don't know if you've had this recently, but. But obviously, there's fashions and trends within within everything. Like mm-hmm. there are, you know, people have decided to angle their symbols away from themselves and sit 13 feet above the drums and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I yeah, really yeah. But, but similarly, with with front of house guys, like recently, people have been marking my hi hat from underneath. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've noticed like, that too. When when the fuck did that change? <laughs> and, and why? And why has it changed? Why right. is it there? Like right. Like because it's not. Like I'm playing the top, uh-huh. and I'm playing nuance, and I'm playing articulation, and I'm swing. You know, that's where the swing because of you know because I study jazz. That's that's where the swing is. If 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 we're playing, you know, if it's a funk thing, and I want it to groove in a certain way, then that doesn't make any. You know, you wouldn't put the bass drum mic on the through the batter head, or you know, you, you know I, do you know what I mean? It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I, I get why the ride mic goes underneath, but I. You know, I just don't really get it. And none of them have been able to explain it to me yet. They just said, oh, it's just what we're doing. Well, quite a a good enough explanation. But maybe someone who's listening knows. And they can send me an email and explain it to me. Yeah, please, somebody. (laughs) But that's that's kind of where I'm at with that. You know, hopefully a good front of house guy should be open to what you're trying to do as a drummer. Just like a good drummer should be open to what a singer is trying to do do you know like hey i wrote this song and this is what i want you to play mm-hmm. okay absolutely cool hey i'm playing these drums and this is how i want them to sound mm-hmm. oh okay cool you know not not always the case in either scenario but that's that's kind of you know my approach to talking to front of house guys and, right. and usually buy them a, buy them a drink first <laughs> that's never never a bad idea 
Um, you mentioned you were you were shedding a lot lately, and I, I'm, I think a lot of drummers can can relate to this. I certainly can. Where like you, you know you get you get going, and and you know before long, most if not all of your practice time is just devoted to kind of either maintaining physically or just learning songs. Um, yeah, and not you know stretching out and and kind of bringing new techniques and sounds into your playing. So what what are you working on lately? Well, I I recently just got a space. I never had a space before, like of my own. I've like I've all my gears been in storage mm-hmm. for for t- fucking twenty years or whatever, and I've always just like kept. I've got like fourteen kits, so they've all been in storage. I keep one kit in my house, like packed up, you know, for much like my working kit. So like a gig, throw it in the car, see you later, mm-hmm. or even leave it in the car. Although I try not to do that anymore. Um, and then I had DT, I'm with Yamaha. So I had a DTX, I have a DTX 900. So I had that set up in my house. So th- I've been using that pretty much exclusively for the last six years to learn songs mm-hmm. um, and work parts out and all that kind of stuff. And then over Christmas, I just really, I don't know, I just had a sort of like, you know, that bit between Christmas and um, and New Year. Yeah. Which is like, some some call it the Christmas taint, don't they? But I would never. <laughs> um, there's nothing happening. So there's no gigs. There's nothing going on. You know, everyone's away or just like hunking down. And I was just like, I was thinking, I was thinking about all my gear and I was just thinking, this is fucking ridiculous. Like I've got thousands of pounds worth of drums and cymbals and I don't play any of them. So I started looking into getting a room and and, uh, and managed to find one pretty quickly in the place where I keep my gear. Mm-hmm. So I've taken everything out. I've got two kits set up side by side. It's kind of two rooms in one. It's basically set up like a studio, a control room and a live room. So the control room now is just full of drums. And I've got a little desk in there, my laptop and stuff. So I can sit there, transcribe, Dropbox it, walk through the door, open my iPad, read the parts that I've just read, you know, done. I can play the audio. Everything's on ears and I'm using the Yamaha EAD. Have you seen that thing? Uh, I don't think so. Oh, it's fucking amazing. It's so cool. It's, um, well, I mean, you can look it up online, but it basically, it's, it's like a trigger. It's got two stereo, like a, a pair of stereo mics. Right. Okay. I have seen this. I have seen that. I know what you're talking about. It's mega. And, and I'm not really using it to any extent other than I can mix audio just with a, t- you know, with a 30 quid mixing desk, mix the audio coming from my phone with the live drums in the room, run everything through my in-ears. So I'm kind of not going to go deaf for practicing it six hours a day. Right. I can play to any song. I'm all online there, so I can play along to any song that I need to do from Spotify, or I can drop stuff into Dropbox. You know, any audio tracks I've got that without drums. It's like it's, it's it's so I've got it all set up. So so for the first time in 20 years, I'm I'm practicing not just playing songs. I'm trying to make it like I get up in the morning, I take my little girl to nursery, I go to the studio start practicing mm-hmm. so I, I bought a few books and stuff and i'm just kind of looking at a lot of stuff online i have to say I, I, i'm really a fan of all that stuff or i didn't think i was but actually there's some brilliant things on drumeo mm-hmm. and um and i really i just i don't know why i'm pretty i'm just like a grumpy old bugger i think i don't really <laughs> like stuff like that yeah actually it turns out i do and i've, I've learned quite a lot there's a wicked gavin harrison thing on there um who's a nice chap by the way if you ever get a chance to meet him um um, yeah, I've just seen a few things that, that's inspired me, and now my gear set up, I just go down there. So what I've been doing to answer your question that you asked <laughs> is I've been fucking around with my setup. I've got three toms across the top because if it's good enough for Jeff, it's good enough for me. Yeah, um, and I've never done that before. You know, I've been playing one up, one down for a really long time, and mm-hmm. then I went back to sort of two up, one down, and then I was like, mm, not sure about this. One up, two down, maybe. And now I've gone fuck it, three and two, and I've got the china out and everything because you know because it's it's been like it's been. It's like I found all this stuff I didn't know I had. Mm-hmm. So I've just been like, I've been experimenting with setups and different sounds and different palettes and stuff. I've got some, I've got some really nice cymbals and old snare drums. Mm-hmm. I've been working on my independence a bit more. Like I pretty much my right hand plays time, my left hand plays backbeat. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I, I can't do everything with my right hand that I can with my left. I never really got into that mode of thought mm-hmm. you know when when i was studying so i'm trying to just embrace that a bit i'm, I'm looking at i don't know see there's just like everybody seems to play linear chops and linear phrasing now 
Mm-hmm. No, nothing's none of it feels very musical and and people are, you know watch these things people talking about oh wow he's got great flow like what, what do you mean like he starts playing and he doesn't fucking stop like well okay <laughs> um did i i think it's just it's overthought yeah so I'm, I'm just trying to find some new ways of playing you know playing time i'm doing a lot of I mean, I just every gig I've done for the last ten years has been with a click, pretty much. Mm-hmm. You know, every big gig, not like if I'm playing in bars and stuff. So uh, I'm just running some exercises to try and make sure that my time is good and that without the click, and that I'm not reliant on it. You know, I had a conversation with a friend of mine who was like, "Oh man, did a gig the other day and there was no click, and God, it's fucking weird, and oh, it's really hard. Like it's so much easier when there's a click." <laughs> it's like that's a weird thing to say. It is. And I thought about it, and I was like. Yeah, but I get what he means because he doesn't, because he's good with the click. He's like, well, I don't have to think too much about playing. You know, I'm not, not thinking about the time. I'm just playing to the click. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. I get that. I fuck, it frightens me. I don't want to be like that, but I kind of get what you're saying. Yeah. So I, I, I want, I want, he was like, you know, I was paranoid. Like, fuck, am I speeding up or am I slowing down? I don't know. I haven't got anything to, you know, I haven't got a, a reference. Mm-hmm. Whereas when, when I've got a click, I've got a reference. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. You're an idiot, but yeah, I get it. Um, so, so I, I've just been my. I've, it made me think, though. Shit. Maybe is my time suffering because everything I've been doing is with the click. Mm-hmm. So I've just been like, you know, you can get those. I've got an app, and you can, you know, it'll it'll drop a beat every, you know, it'll mute, it'll mute the click every three bars or whatever, or you can choose, like, just give me the. It'll just give you the one. Or, right. You know what I mean? Right. Right. So I've been doing a bit of that, which is quite good. It's quite good fun. I like it. Yeah. So I'm just trying to find, yeah, I'm just trying to find things that I like. Like, like I say, I'm trying to avoid popping a load of linear fills that are like, we don't have a system behind them. So it's like, well, I'm going to play in that fill the 57 and I'll follow it by 32. And then that'll take me into 69 and then back to the groove. Right. What? Right. I hate it. Yeah. So I'm just trying to, I'm trying to just free up really and just maintain what little chops I've got. Just trying to, you know, make sure my singles and doubles are tight and, I've been working a bit on my bass drum because it's kind of, I don't really, I've realized I don't play any linear kind of stuff. I don't play any fills with a bass drum in the middle. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, like, like I'm looking at all this stuff online and everything's groups of sixes and with a bass drum moving through it. And stuff. Like, oh, right. Yeah. Maybe that would be an interesting thing to, for me to think about, you know? Right. So that's the kind, that's the kind of thing I'm doing. And obviously just learning songs. And- yeah. Yeah. I can, I can totally relate to that too. Um, because you know, when I, when I am able to practice something, that's just not learning a song for a gig, I'm, I'm more and more focused on, um, how, how I feel, how I sound and, you know, how I think I sound to other people rather than, mm. uh, you know, rather than doing the workout, uh, for, chops and speed and, and independence and all that um i'm i'm trying to make my existing skills more solid and and i think that's it's the perfect explanation of what i was trying to say and and, and i think it's the right thing to be doing like mm-hmm. I, i've seen so many younger well not even younger like just maybe older misinformed people too but <laughs> like just got you know we're just just the, the groove's not happening it, it, I mean, you're playing a beat. You're not playing a groove. There's no feel. Nobody's bobbing their head, and then and then it's like an onslaught of, of, of sex tuplets, and then back to this sort of n- non-groove, and then more like and the and the sex tuplet stuff is impressive to a, you know to a to a layman. So they're like, "Ooh, this guy's fucking amazing!" Right? <laughs> no, but it's not. It's not. It's not grooving, is it? It's not. It's kind of he's it's kind of missing the essence of drumming, which right. is the beat. You know, I, I like that the, you di- I like you distinguished I like that you distinguished between a beat and a groove. And like, you know, we can all play beats, but to yeah. fall into a groove is is something different and, and requires kind of more uh nuanced uh I guess self reflection. Like like I was saying, how does it's this feel? Process, yeah, yeah. It's like like it's you know, it's feel. It's, it's like it's in the word, isn't it? How does it feel? You're right. How does it feel? Does it groove? Is it in you know, is it in? It's, it's, I don't think people give it enough thought. I spent a lot of time thinking about it and a lot of time talking about it, a lot of time listening to records and trying like, fuck, why does this feel so good? What's mm-hmm. it playing that makes this you know what I mean? And yeah. I think some people are like, yeah, I just play time and then I can do this. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, what the fuck was that? Yeah, cool, hey. I don't know. I didn't say it was cool. I said, what the fuck was it? But, um, so I'm a bit more, 
yeah, that's that's what I, that's what I'm into. Like, yeah, yeah. Just make just trying to make it trying to make everybody feel good, me included. I don't think there's anything wrong with being mildly selfish in music, right? You know, right. And we lived we live to surf, but at the same time, we're hopefully we're hopefully enjoying it ourselves, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, and in addition to you know enjoying myself, I've been more and more focused as I've been getting older on on how shit physically feels. Um, yeah, because different uh, different weird. You know, <laughs> uh, how old are you now? I'm 37. All right, I, I'm 41, and I, and I reckon I was about 38, 37 when I started thinking a bit more like, you know what? Maybe I should walk. Like I've never fucking warmed up ever. <laughs> yep. So I, could, I never really. I just think it's really. It just really annoys everybody else in the dressing room. That's <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, this is annoying. Oh yeah, I won't bother. And then in the in, in for the last three years, I'd just go and find a quiet corner yeah. now and just and and warm up. And it's and it's like, I don't think it really affects my. I don't think it's like, oh god, I've been shit for thirty years because I didn't warm up. But mm-hmm. I think definitely, just even just getting a bit of heat into the hands, you yep. know, just I feel I feel I feel the benefit of it yeah, straight away. I like, definitely oh, do too, yeah, even for a minute or I two. Know. Yeah, now I know why people fucking do it. Balls. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I'm not saying I was right not warming up. Uh, just that it took me a long time to get my head out my ass about it but right. yeah it um i mean i used to warm up just by listening you know i'd listen to music you you know listen listen to something unrelated to the performance that was about to happen but just to get in the mood for you know for grooving right but now so yeah now i mean and i think that i think the warm-up i'm doing is an old peter Erskine one i remember seeing a million years ago online hmm. where you just i just you start with nine in each hand and then you go nine nine eight eight seven seven six six all yeah. the way down to one and then back up again mm-hmm. and um, it's quite it's quite i don't know it seems to work seems to work yeah just the yeah. simple like the, the simple act of getting blood flowing through your hands yeah. and through your body like you don't have to spend 15 minutes you know doing all kinds of rudimental stuff as as a warm-up just a minute or two of i'm not going to do any of that on the gig so I, I, right that doesn't make doesn't make any sense for me to, to warm up with a load of shit i'm not going to play right it, uh, you know in, in an ideal world it'd be nice to have it be nice to have a kit set up backstage i know some you know I saw the Chili Peppers last year, and, and my my friend works for their management company, so I was able to go backstage and meet Chad and everything. And the, you know, the, he's got a room with 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 another drum kit in it. Right. Like, oh, that must be fucking nice. Just go play drums for twenty minutes before you go and play drums for an hour. And a half. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, not there's. I don't play. I don't play that many shows where it's like, yeah. Can you tell the tech I'm bringing two drum kits? <laughs> one's for backstage, one's for on site. Like, yeah, Bob. <laughs> And if the backstage one isn't mic'd right, there's going to be hell to pay. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) The symbol's in the wrong place. Right, right. right. So you mentioned uh, uh, your your schooling and your jazz background. You attended the Royal Academy of Music. That's right. Um, So... Tell us, tell us about that that school and that place and the the education you got there. Because when it's, you know when we all hear British musicians talk, I think uh, the Royal Academy of Music comes up often. But um, as right. as Americans, we don't really know what's going on there. Is it a conservatory? Is it? Uh, it, it is a conservatory. Yeah, um, predominantly classical, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, the jazz course. I went there in '95. I graduated in 99 uh, and I think it had been running probably for about six years maybe when I started mm-hmm. so it probably started early 90s maybe late 80s um, it's very small any you can any you know they take applicants from from all over the world um, on the audition process I mean I can only speak when I was there obviously it's probably changed a bit but not much because I was in there recently but it um, the audition process was a day and you'd go in the morning and see someone and they do like a lot of ear training tests and all that kind of stuff uh, and then there's an interview and then there's a playing thing where you get given a rhythm section based uh, which is basically the third year students um, and you take three tunes, two standards and an original, and you get half an hour to kind of rehearse it with them and 
teach your song it doesn't have to be an original song um you know that you bring with you and they watch so they want to see they see how you interact with the other musicians how you explain things and and then you do play you do perform the tunes but the performance i think looking back wasn't really what they were looking for they, they were looking for the communication um how you work with others you know all those sort of key elements right of being a good musician yeah um so it was very clever um and then you wait for three months agonizingly for a letter to drop through the letterbox um they take one drummer a year so they take one drummer one bass player one piano player one guitar player maybe three horns and a singer or two horns and four horns no singer you know that kind of thing one a year so, yeah so wow. each year group makes up a, a rhythm it makes up a band right you, you play with those guys for four years wow that's your year group that's um, a really cool audition process because, you know, most most of the auditions that I've done or seen or, or adjudicated or been a part of or whatever, it, you know, you just see the person play. You just yeah. see the person at their instrument. Um, and you Usually showing off. Like, right. Not, you know, like, and, and then and then leave. Right. So it, I, I thought that, that would, it really appealed to me because I don't, you know, I haven't played a drum solo in probably 20 years and nobody wanted to hear hear it then so it, it you know that, that appeal i was like oh that's great i don't have to go and just like throw all my eggs in one you know in one basket mm-hmm. i could just go and um you know and play music right so it was wicked you know and and, and also th- there weren't many alternatives there were, you know there was a there's a good school in leeds up north which is actually where i'm from which is my second choice and then there was there's a, there's a place called the guild hall there's a place called the royal there's the royal college um all of those courses, or certainly the two other London ones, would have involved me having to play um, tune percussion mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I don't, or I didn't. Well, I still don't. So right. I don't. Right. Um, do you know what I mean? I, I don't read tunes, so I, I would have had to play xylophone and timpani, and, and, I, and I couldn't. So I was like, well, I ain't going to get into those. So <laughs> right. it's kind of my only, you know, my, own, my only hope was to get the one place available at the best school in the country. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, cool. And you did well, it. This is a challenge. But I got yeah, I got away with it. It's good, and and also you know they took me on potential rather than finished article, you know, because that's their job. And right. I like, and I thought that was a very clever way of, of, of you know there were probably drummers who were more accomplished technically, but maybe they didn't you know whoever was on the panel didn't see uh, this guy's you know this guy's probably got where he's going. So let's not you know maybe the four years here isn't for him. Where they, whereas me with me they maybe thought wow this guy's terrible, but we could see that he could become. <laughs> average but it, 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 or maybe something nicer than that Who right knows? right but, um so that was it and then you know you do you have composition class your ear training class you have rhythm section workshop uh and then you do styles so like as a year group you might study the music of thelonious monk for a term and then at the end of the term you do you do an in-house concert um or yeah we did like we did one what do we have? well we did all kinds of shit but you know we did like a electric miles period or you know, so you spend twelve weeks looking at looking at that kind of music. You know, mm-hmm. for three or four hours in a session, twice a week or whatever. Yeah. So you really get inside the, you know, in, inside the tunes and try and understand, you know, what what was going on. So it was brilliant. It was an amazing course. Like I had, I studied with Trevor Tompkins, who's a great uh, British jazz educator, still still very much active and in his seventies now. Hmm. Um, I did two years with him. An hour, you get an hour a week or two hours, two hours a week. Something I can't remember, um, but you know you get really good one-to-one tuition, right? Um, tailored specifically for you, not an online. Watch this video course, or right. or, or you know, or some lay. I know there's some lazy teachers who just teach everybody the same shit, but you know he is very much. You could you know you could say I want to know about this. Okay, fine, let's do that. Right. right. So that he was great, and then I went to study with John Marshall. Do you know John Marshall? He was in a bank no, I don't. machine. He was what? Uh, he was in a band called Soft Machine. Mm-hmm. You should check him out. Like it's like super, super British prog, hmm. for, you know, jazz, jazz. I mean, really heavy. It's kind of like they used to play opposite Mahavishnu and that kind of thing. Right. And um, and uh, I remember seeing posters up around his walls. But he's an amazing drummer, very um, energetic, like sometimes very aggressive, and then he had incredible. He has an incredible touch. Super. So he can really go from nothing to everything you know and uh, and he was very clever and, and and i mean i really used to love going around his house and hanging out he was really engaging and really 
um, warm. Yeah. You know, and very, and very, I think he had, I think he had done a degree in psychology or something. He had, a, you know, like the sort of um, psychiatrist couch type, you know, like sort of bed thing. Right. Analysis. So you'd like, so sometimes you go and, like, you know, you come in, lie down, you know, lie on the couch. What do you want to know? Well, I'm really scared of playing in seven. Hmm, all right, tell me about your mother. And then an hour <laughs> later, walking down the streets, skipping along, singing in seven and going, I don't know how he did that. <laughs> it, was very, it was very cool. I really enjoyed going, having lessons with him. Um, so they, they, they were my one-to-one drum teachers. You, you, know, you, and, uh, I are, are, you and I are similar in that uh, we had like an intensive jazz-centric uh college experience um so Where did you go I, I went to university of missouri kansas city for graduate right. school um and then i lived in kansas city for a few years beyond that so for for basically my my 20s i was i was in uh, jazz land there in cool. in kansas city but i'm interested in like what were the um what were the areas of focus uh pertaining to the drum set in college and which of those have you kind of held on to and which of those have you jettisoned uh, as as your career has progressed into more pop music, more rock, more mainstream stuff? Well, I, I think everything we did there was was about it wasn't specifically about jazz. It was just about music. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think I've jettisoned any of it, really. Like, I, I think I don't play much jazz anymore in the traditional ring ting to ting sense mm-hmm. but i certainly i certainly still have all of those jazz sensibilities about my you know somebody said to me once that they thought you know i was a rock and roll drummer with jazz sensibilities mm-hmm. and i thought i took that i think they meant it as a compliment i hope they did <laughs> I, I, I took it as one because it's you know i i like to play with like power and and uh like somebody i did a master class recently and someone said to me yeah do you always play that loud and i said well uh, no, but I always play this confidently because mm. I, I don't think it, it wasn't, you know, it might be louder than they play, but it's not ear bendingly, you know, I'm not, I'm not standing up and jumping up and down to hit the snare drum, right. but the, there's, there's a consistency. And I think, you know, that, I, I, that, that comes from jazz. You know, I spent a long time just playing ding, 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 Joe, just set up a ride cymbal, just play, just play ride cymbal. Uh, you know, moving through metronome and right. just keeping it a super consistent, get that symbol to really sing, you know, get it really humming. Like, yeah, you know, and, and, that, and that obviously it, it still runs true, you know, whether I'm, it doesn't matter if you're playing straight eighth notes or, or, or swinging crotches, you know, it's, it's the same thing, isn't it? I want the symbol to, I want the symbols to sing. I want the snare drum to, to I want my backbeat to be super consistent. And I right. think that, that, you know, I, I worked on that a lot whilst I was there. Um, and a lot of the thing that we used to talk about with Trevor and with John is, you know, was about, about vocabulary. Like, it doesn't matter what, you know, it's all English, isn't it? But, what, you know, so it's all music. So whatever I say, I need to be able to express myself. I need, you need your hands to be able to you know, translate what your brain is saying. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like, this is how to play jazz. It's just, this is how to play music. Mm-hmm. So I think that, that, that I sort of still embrace that concept now. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but I suppose the main difference in the music that I studied there, the music I play now, is that we didn't really do anything. You know, we didn't really look at any pop music. I was listening to a lot of pop music when I was there. You know, and, you know, Tower of Power and and um, that kind of, you know, Steely Dan and all that kind of shit mm-hmm. that everyone listens to all the time. I was yeah. going to say at college, but I still listen to all that shit all the time. So, <laughs> um, so nothing's changed. Um, <laughs> but that that's kind of the main. That's kind of the, you know, that's kind of the main thing that I took from that. It was yes, I was studying jazz, but actually I was studying music. It just you know, it just the, the program has to have a title, so it's a jazz course. Right, right. Uh, do you think that that enough drummers um, kind of use jazz study in in that way as a as a kind of um, Rosetta Stone for all of music? Um, because my- probably, probably not, but not, maybe not everybody has the opportunity, right? Or you know, is lucky enough to get the, to get the one place or, or to get into a school like that. Mm-hmm. But I think if you look back traditionally or historically through through who we, I'm sure we would agree, are, you know, are the great drummers. You look at somebody like John Bonham, and everybody talks about the way that it swings. You look at Gad, and he's like, yes, he's yes, he's most famous for playing James Taylor and Paul Simon, but obviously. He's, a massive jazz 
uh, background. You know, mm-hmm. you look at someone like Keith Carlock, and it's like, yes, of course, he went to Berkeley. Yes, of course, he studied with Ed Self, and he's a ridiculously burning fucking jazz drummer. Oh, yeah. And I think when I was younger, you know, I would look at someone like Sting and be like, oh, my God, you know, he's got the best band. And it's like, yeah, everybody has a jazz background, mm-hmm. whether it's Kenny Kirkland on piano or Branford or, you know, Vinny or, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, they all they all studied. They studied that, you know, that kind of music. They came from that place. Right. And the, and the guys I knew or that I and, that's, and this is by no way derisory, but the guys I knew that were playing heavy rock. Or, or you know rock and roll were kind of at their at their limit mm-hmm. and that's not to say that they weren't fantastic players they weren't they didn't have that freedom of thought that comes with playing with, with improvisation and i and i guess that's what i'm saying about this line now i don't see any improvising i just see you know when i'm talking about instagram and things like that you know which i'm a fan of so i'm not i'm not slagging it off but you know, you're not watching improvised first take, like, hey, I'm just putting up my GoPro and, and, and want to express myself. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, I've been working on the on the on this particular set of chops in this second in this particular order for four hours and now I'm gonna hit record and make it look like I'm just fucking spooning around in the studio. Right. Right. Do you know what I mean? I, I, yeah. I, and so and for me the you know, the true art of, of, of improvisation or, or the or the you know the sort of honesty of it is the mistakes and 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 is the things that come out of the mistakes like oh fuck it let me to play that i'll just keep playing it till it sounds good right yeah now now that now that's like a little hook or something do you know what i mean yeah if you have that jazz background if you if you've learned that if you've learned that way if you've learned to to trust your instincts and and, you know and and to have the hands you know so you so you can you do have that vocabulary of like yeah i'm just fucking gonna go for shit and see what comes out right and I think it's a much truer, more honest performance. And, you know, it sounds like music rather than pre-programmed bullshit. Right. Well, not bullshit. That's harsh. But you know, <laughs> a, lot, and a lot of the stuff that people are playing, I can't play. So I'm not saying I'm not, I'm not deriding it. But I just think it's not it's not as musical as, uh, you know, as a, as a self-expression. And I also think the reason there's millions of people online playing that stuff is because it, it proves that if you, if you punch the information in over and over and over and over and over again, ultimately anybody can do it. Right. Right. The other thing I'm, I'm realizing that I, I learned and, and developed from my jazz training is, is the ability to kind of create an arc from the beginning of a piece of music to the end and in, yeah, right. you know, in jazz, you'll you'll play songs or tunes that are ten, twelve, fifteen, twenty minutes long, um, yeah. and have to you know sustain uh, somebody's <laughs> attention uh, for that exactly. long. Yeah, to do it well, it's still it's got to it's got to be interesting, hasn't it? And right, and, and it goes guess- back to what you were saying about dynamics. Um, and yeah. you know, it's, it's one of the, one of the casualties of, of social media, I think is that, you know, people are, are playing 30 seconds at a time. Um, and they're, they're not developing the ability to, to tell a story, to create an arc from the beginning of a song to the end or from the beginning of a show to the end. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. And I mean, and with, with within that song, there's, there's, a, there's you know, there's, a, there's 10 other stories, isn't there? And mm-hmm. the, the interplay between the pianist and you, the interplay between the, ba- the bass player and you, the, 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 you know, following the soloists uh, decisions and, and the arc and the shape of the solo that they want to play. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's I think there's, there's so much listening going on in jazz. Yeah, that that really helps your like mold your ear so that now when I play you know, sing with singer songwriters or, 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 you know, that kind of thing. It's like, I'm able to, I'm one is able to, <laughs> to, you know, to back the singer, to, to feel where they're going emotionally so that you can try and support them. And, and I suppose in, in, in the opposite of, of, of how I would, how I used to play jazz when I played it more often is that, you know, uh, someone, I worked with a singer, Alison Moye for a long time. And, um, and when she got louder, we would get quieter. Hmm. She didn't like it. She felt like we were, if we always went with her, which was kind of traditionally what we're, we would do in a jazz sense, that we were overpowering and that we would we were, by some you know sort of orally undermining what she was doing because it's like well if everyone gets loud what's the point of me getting loud like, right okay, yeah I can dig that so we learn to we learn to get in the spaces then you you play like louder or, or change the dynamic or push the feel when she, you know in the gaps between the phrases in the gaps between the words yeah. Yeah. And, and so that was, you know, that was really interesting. And, and, and obviously something we were able to, you know, as a band, we were able to all do very easily because we'd all 
that everyone in that band we'd all studied at the academy so we'd all we were all friends from, from different years but we'd all had the same training so for us it was it was a simple you know okay well here's what we do guys you know we don't think we even ever spoke about it it was just something we did right right whereas i think possibly if you didn't have that training and you just played you know you'd only ever played sort of loud groove stuff forever you might not you know you might not you might not find that you might not find that little trick oh, yeah this is how she feels supported right i was talking with my wife about this a while back and i don't i don't remember if she came up with the phrase or if i did but but the phrase uh your musical antenna uh came up right and, and i that's that's, that's the way i think about my jazz training it's not it has less to do with you know what my hands are capable of or or yeah. whatever it has more to do with my musical antenna and what i'm able to kind of receive and perceive in any musical situation no matter what i'm playing yeah i think i think you're absolutely right it's just it's the it's the it's having the ability to 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 be to be, to listen to everything that's going on around you include mm-hmm. including you know uh reading the audience include you know and and as well as the musicians and and, and the art on the artist right i think antenna is a good word so where do you go to find a treasure trove of information about vintage drums, custom drums, and legendary drummers? NotSoModernDrummer.com Since 1988, Not so Modern Drummer is an institution dedicated to researching and documenting the history of modern drums, the art of drum building, and the legendary drummers who play them. The writers and contributors are some of the top vintage and custom drum experts from around the world. Not So Modern Drummer serves as an online gathering place and marketplace for the worldwide community of drummers who buy and sell, collect, preserve, and play these instruments. It also hosts drum-related events that are attended by drummers from all over the world. This website is easy and fun to explore, and the monthly digital magazine subscription is free. So check out NotSoModernDrummer.com. So you came to... um london in the mid 90s to go to school yeah um and was it was it your plan to remain in london after school yeah always um and so do you feel like in the in the time since you graduated or the time since you you came to london um is it is it what you expected did you get what you bargained for how did it surprise you um, oh, I, I mean not to sound like a trap but i think i've done better than i expected <laughs> um but but not but I talked to someone about this the other day, actually, which is weird, but I never really thought about it too much in the sense that, you know, like when you're 22, being 40 just seems fucking miles away, doesn't it? You mm-hmm. know, it's, it's half, it's, a, it's another lifetime away. So I never thought like, oh, I'd like to do this by the time I'm 40. Oh, I hope I've done that. I was just thinking, man, I hope I get a fucking gig this week. Right. Or I need to get some te- teaching because I've got to pay the rent on Friday. I don't mm-hmm. have any money. Um, and I don't want to sell any more drums. Or, do you know what I mean? It was that, it, I was I, I'm just thinking like that to start with. You know, when I first graduated, that was where I was at. You know, and, and I had sold a drum kit for to pay the rent once, and it was like I had I had two drum kits, a black nine thousand, which I still got that I, that I got when I was eleven. So, um, and then I got a stock badge Gretsch that I'd bought that I'd got in odds and sods different places and like it was some of them were beaten up and i had like reconditioned and my mum sanded the bass drum down for me because it was covered it someone wrapped it badly and it was covered in adhesive and, your mom and, like, sanded and, 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 it down yeah she did it when i was away once it was very <laughs> kind of her and that's like oh fuck that's amazing wow. you know and i had it all refinished so it was beautiful and i loved it and um and i had to sell it to pay the rent to stay in london mm. and, the, and I, I sold it for 266 pounds and 67 pence because that's what the rent was mm. and it was and it was fucking heartbreaking which and that's why i've got so much stuff now i think because i sort of was like i'm never selling anything again and right. whatever it takes i'm going to make sure i never have to i never have to be in this situation again right so and, and ergo i've now got loads of rubbish that i need to get rid of <laughs> <laughs> you know? yeah but you know what i mean so so, so I wasn't thinking like, oh, I hope I get to play with James Taylor. I was like, I, w- I was thinking, I hope I get to, like, I hope I get to do this for a living. Mm-hmm. I hope I get asked to do that function band because I think the bass players are really good. Mm-hmm. I hope I get, uh, I hope, I, how can I depth on that, on that, set, on that Earth, Wind and Fire cover skit because that fucking guitar player is insane and I really want to play with him. That's what I was thinking. I was trying to, I think I've always been fairly realistic in my expectations of, you know, where I was at that particular period. Right. And and. 
Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know if I'm explaining it very well. No, I can I can totally relate to to what you're saying because I you know from my earliest memories of of playing drums, I had a drum teacher in Santa Fe, New Mexico, where I grow where I grew up. This guy named Jeff Sussman, and you know he he wasn't doing arena tours. He was never on the cover of Modern Drummer or anything, but he played gigs around town. He taught students. He made his living playing drums. And from an early yeah. age, that's kind of where I set the bar. I was like, I want to do that. You know, if I yeah. can, if I can do that, that would be amazing. <laughs> you I, know, I could totally relate to that. I just, I, I've never had, you know, a quote unquote proper job. Mm-hmm. And I just, I remember talking to my dad and him just saying, look, if you could, if you can avoid having to wear a suit, having to call somebody, sir, having to have an annual review, having to fucking, you know, do all the shit and having to deal with people you hate who sit across from you for the rest for the 20 years like just do everything you can to, to not have to do that because mm-hmm. i do it and i hate it <laughs> cool good work right <laughs> you know and my parents were always very supportive like you know like he would my dad would get up and drive me to gigs and you know drive me to gigs and come back and pick me up at one o'clock in the morning and then get up at six thirty to go to work and stuff mm-hmm. you know before i mean i think the day i passed my driving test is still the happiest day of his life but it's, um <laughs> He was really cool, you know. He he was really good like that. My mum was 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 the same. She was great like that. So I was lucky with that. But I, I sort of I remember him telling me that, and I remember thinking, yeah, you're right. I don't want to fucking, I don't want to, I don't want to do something I don't want to do. Now that's not to say that there isn't parts of playing the drums, there isn't parts of being a professional musician that isn't difficult, and that's to say that you don't have people that sometimes are difficult to deal with. Right. But. It's not forever, is it? Like, and if you're on a gig and you don't like it, you can leave. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you know, I think that. Whereas if you've got, you know, if you're on a career path and you work for a firm and all that kind of stuff, just don't think, don't think I could deal with it. Right, right. You know, there, it comes with its own set of, of challenges and and setbacks and frustrations and whatever. Um, and you know, my my wife and I talk about this often. How like we, you know, there there are different ways in which we envy each other's. Uh, jobs and lives because what like she do she she does uh, marketing and branding for private schools she works for a firm here in Atlanta okay. and you know for all intents and purposes it's a quote unquote normal job um, yeah you know so I'm I'm envious of uh, the you know the her her salary and the health benefits the regu- and, and regular all. pay yeah totally I mean. I totally, she, I totally hear you on that front. Right, and she's envious of of the the freedom that I have. You know. Yeah. What are you um, doing today? Don't know. Exactly. Fuck off. What do you mean? You don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Might play the drums. Might talk about the drums. I might just listen to Jeff all afternoon. That sounds good. Yeah. Don't work too hard. Right. Right. So it's. I hear you. Um, yeah. Have you got any money? No. None. Uh, <laughs> So it's, can I have some, um, please? <laughs> yeah, can you leave me money for um, Yeah, it's um, yeah, I, I get it, but I, I, I still think that I still think I think one of the curses of the modern musician, is, and one of the things that people don't talk about, which, and I think that they should, is that there is huge swathes of downtime, and with downtime comes reflection, and with reflection often comes negativity, like especially in creative people. Fuck, no one's calling me. Why aren't I doing anything? You know, and the, but it is easy to go down the down the rabbit hole, isn't it? Right. And I've definitely gone down there a few times and I've got a lot of friends who get who get you know get caught up in that sometimes and, and there's a lot to be said for being busy with anything, you know, in, you know, not, not just playing drums, but if you're busy, I think you don't really have time to sweat the small stuff, do you? And I think when you in between, if you're between tours or between gigs, it's easy for people to get a bit mopey. Right, right. Um, so, what was the what was the London scene like when you came out of school, and and how has it changed uh, in the time since that? Uh, never really been big on a scene, I don't think. Like London, I think the thing that if you've never been. The thing about London is it's, it's massive, mm-hmm. like as a capital city. It's not like New York. It's not like, yeah, well, you're either in Brooklyn or you're in Manhattan. And it's like, no, like, the, you know, there's, there are very successful, brilliant London based musicians that I've never met, never heard of. Mm-hmm. You know, there's like there's there's pockets, there's scenes all over the place. Like, oh, you know, this guy, oh, he plays these and these and these. Like, no, I don't know any of those fuckers. Right. Do you know, this guy. Oh, yeah, I met no I know one of those guys. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas I think so I think I think that sometimes people are looking at like, oh, what's it like? So like well, you know, there's 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 some places where people go and play. You know, but I, that I don't 
go to. I mean, I don't know. I just sort of wasn't, I wasn't really just thinking about a scene. Like I know that the music industry has changed globally mm-hmm. in the, t- in the time since I graduated, uh, because people still bought CDs when I graduated and obviously they don't. So, so I, I, I see the effect that that has had, which is basically that nobody wants to pay for anything. I mean, it's better now than it was three years ago. Right. But there was a big dip there where it was like, wow, I'm getting offered tours and they pay the same as they did 12 years ago. Mm, yeah. I mean, there's not even a, there's no, there's not even inflation. The tickets, the ticket prices aren't the same as they were 12 years ago. No, but that's all we could afford to pay. Really? That's weird because you paid me that in 2005. <laughs> oh, oh, did we? Yeah. I've been around a while now. So, <laughs> do you know what I mean? So right. That, that's definitely changed. Mm-hmm. And they go, yeah, but the, you know, there's a 12 year old over here who'll do it for 50p. Oh, mm. boy, is there? Yeah. Um, so I'm on Instagram. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I'm on Instagram. Man, he's got great flow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I, um, so that's, you know, that's changed. But basically, when, when I left college, I just wanted to, to maintain. So I wanted to play gigs and I wanted to try and get better and play with better people. Like my desire has always been to be the shittiest guy in the band mm. because that means that I'll have to work harder and I'll get better quicker. Mm hmm. So that, that always made sense to me. So to that end, that's when I decided I was going to, I think I'm going to start booking stuff. I wasn't getting called for things. Some people were getting called for things who I didn't think were very good for various reasons, but they looked good. And that was when I realized that pop music, like I think the whole world knows now because of Instagram and because of Facebook and because of all that shit. But back then I think people thought too much like, oh man, I better make sure I look good on this gig tonight. Mm-hmm. People just went, I better, I better play great. If I play great, I'll be all right. And actually, these people that were getting gigs didn't play that great, but they fucking looked good. They had the Tony and Guy haircuts, and they went to the gym, and like we just laughed. You know, we laughed at people that did exercise. Why would you, fuck, why would you do exercise? Like you could be playing the drums. <laughs> but they're, you know, people are way more mindful of that now, aren't they? Yeah, so, there's a strong casting element. Um, and I lived in LA for five years, and it was it was very much oh, the same know, thing. Um, all about it then. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, yeah. But it, it sounds like you, you so mentioned earlier. Those mentioned, people just didn't call me. Right. <laughs> so I decided, fuck it, I'll do it. Like, if people, if no one's going to call me and the people that are getting gigs aren't, aren't to the standard that I think you should be at to be playing pop music and, and that, then why, then why don't I try? Mm-hmm. And if, if, it doesn't, if, it doesn't, if it doesn't work, it doesn't matter. I'm not going to tell anyone I'm trying. So if anyone does call me, that you know, that, that I'm not going to say, oh, actually, I, I, uh, you know, I'm trying to be a fixer now too. Mm-hmm. There was no, you know, so that, that's what I did. It took me two years from, from, from having the idea. It took two years to get someone to, you know, to get, to, to getting, to get a call from someone saying, can you put a band together for this for me? Mm-hmm. But it was, you know, I, when I started, I didn't have a computer. I didn't have an email address. Like nobody had one, mm-hmm. you know, and then by the time I got called, I did have a computer and an email address and <laughs> knew what a JPEG was, and right. the PDF and all that, you know, yeah. sending, you know, cause people, you know, used to send photographs in the post. Hello, please. Can you give me a gig? Here's a photograph and a CV. Right. Right. You know, which is, which seems nuts, doesn't it? So, so, and that's how I ended up running, you know, running my own agency is it, 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 it all grew from that. I didn't sit down and think I want to be a fixer and I want to book an agency. I, I just was like frustrated. I want to be playing in a band with people who are much better than me and I'm not. And I know people who are better than the people I am playing with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How can I, how can I do this? So how has that agency, uh, grown over the years? Like what, um, what, what type of work does, does that agency do? You mentioned putting together bands, but are you putting together bands for tours or corporate events or all of the above or I, I do all of the above, but to predominantly tours and stuff I, I, like the corporate event world and function world and everything is pretty much, you know, exacerbated, you know, it, it's, there's, there's a million agencies and there's a million bands and, uh, and I don't care enough for it to have to put in the necessary time to go and meet people and talk to them about their wedding and if they're going to have what shade of white they're going to have. And you know, I don't, you know right. what I mean? Right. No, I, I don't think I would have the level of care that needs to go into that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I do do one offs and stuff, but predominantly I book, I have, I think I have a reputation for, knowing exceptionally good musicians with with incredible characters who 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 understand what what it is to be a professional touring musician which is you know i.e no egos i.e arriving being on time being prepared gear that works looking looking good no know how to walk into a room and start talking to people 
Right. Avoid politics. Don't talk about sports. You know, all the, all the kind of things <laughs> people fall out about. Yeah. You can talk about sports after, but you know what I mean? That is that people know not to do. So, uh, um, I mean, I have a website, bekmusic.com, uh, for anyone who wants to look at it. It's mm -hmm. very basic because that's the way I like it. And mm -hmm. it, it lists all of the artists that I've, that I've booked musicians with. And that's for touring, that's for TV shows, that's for recording. You know, mm -hmm. and, and it's a it's a very long list, and it sounds I'm like proud of. yeah, yeah. It, it sounds like uh, you know taking taking somebody under your umbrella uh, is is very much informed by the audition process that you went through at the academy. You know how you play is important, but just as if not more important is how you comport yourself. Uh, yeah, you know, in, I think you're right, and I think I've never thought about it till you said it then. But yeah, I, I suppose I suppose that did have a big effect on me. And and I, and I, and I tell you now, like the the amount of times that I've booked somebody that I don't have a personal relationship with or that I haven't played music with, I can count on one hand. Mm, yeah, like it's all it's. I always know the person. I always know like who's going to be a good fit. All right, this, he's about the right age. She's she's got the, she's got that kind of vibe. Like it's that it's that thing, and, and it's it's based on my personal relationship. So it's not like sometimes people send me a CV, you know, hi, you don't know me. Here's my CV. I'd love to work for you. Why? I might be a dick. Um, <laughs> like, what did you, what did you hear? Right. Um, and, also, and also like, would you, would you hire someone you've never met that mm -hmm. you've never heard play? Mm -hmm. Like I wouldn't, you know, it's, it's, it's hard enough trying to trust someone to come and be in your house and fix your pipes under your sink, isn't it? But would you, would you trust somebody with your name? Or the or, you know or the name of your if your name of your business to to go around the world and do you know what I mean like why yeah. would, why would you book someone you don't know like so I'm always surprised when people you know don't take that route like oh I, I sent you a CV a, a month ago and I haven't I haven't had any gigs yet right uh, okay cool you just told me everything I need to know <laughs> you know and I don't mean that in a nasty way because obviously it's not I mean how do you meet someone but it's like I guess. It's just being around. It's you know, personal recommendations. Oh, so and so's really good. Oh, cool. Well, let's get them on a gig and yeah, you know, let's play in a bar or it's, that, it's that the, kind of. It's thing. a recurring theme on on this podcast is whether whether it's uh, you know getting gigs or getting into bands, getting endorsements. It's it's all based on relationships. It's you know hardly ever based on like you said, sending your CV and your picture and saying, "Can I have a gig?" Um, it's it's based on at least. Um, you know, having met someone, <laughs> if not spent time with yeah. them, if not played with them. Um, and yeah. those kind of relationships take time to cultivate. It, it just doesn't happen by, you know. I think the time thing is, is essential because I think that I, I certainly was not, although I was very hungry and I, I'm very willing to work hard and, and all that kind of stuff, I was under no illusions. I didn't think I was going to leave college and start playing arenas. Mm -hmm. Whereas uh, there's a generation now that, uh, that I, you know, I, I go and do a lot of master classes and I talk about, uh, about you know, having realistic goals, having a realistic progression. I, I talk to 24 year olds who feel, who feel like they've, they've blown it. They've, they've you know, they've, they haven't, pl haven't played an arena yet. Haven't fucking, you know, it's, it's just like, it's passing me by. Mm -hmm. like, what you're 24 i feel like you've failed <laughs> right that's really sad and it's not and it's not true and like do you think you're the best drummer you're going to be at 24 like you can't be mm -hmm. you know or if you are then you probably should give up if you you know if you've, if you've maxed out your abilities you know i did see a bus until i was 26 i didn't play an arena until i was in my 30s and, and even then i've only ever played in arenas as sort of one-offs you know, like multi-artist build, you know, three, I did, I played Wembley a couple of times with, once with Jason Derulo and once with Nicole Scherzinger, but like five songs, three songs. Right. You know, so it's not like, yeah, man, I played, you know, I'm, I play in arenas every, every week. Oh, you guys aren't making it. Like, what? Right. There's so much pressure to put, to put on, you know, and, and, and I think that social media is accountable for a lot of that pressure. Mm -hmm. Everything looks amazing. You know, and I try and use my Instagram account. Obviously I have obligations to the people that are very kind and give me drums and cymbals and things to make sure that I talk about the, those drums and cymbals. But, you know, I, I, I play all the gear that I played before I had endorsements. Right. Right. And there was, you know, wasn't like, Hey, you want to come and play this? Well, I don't play them, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, no, I, 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 I want to. I only play the things that I already loved. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know. And you talk um, about the arena gigs. Like, 
I, I agree that, um, you know, social media uh, or maybe it's just that, you know, millennial generation has a has a false sense of, of what a career in music is built on. You know, most mm. most drummers, if they're lucky, will will get a chance to play a big gig like that or a TV gig or, or do something big like that. But for most of us who um, who do this for a living year in, year out, that's not the norm. Right. I couldn't agree with you more. Those those but gigs, it looks the norm on social media because right. people don't put up pictures of their of their of their pub gig. They only right. put up they only it's like it's like a filtered reality. Mm-hmm. Only the top ten only the, the best ten percent gets shown. I never see pictures of people in fucking standing around in the lobby or standing around in the airport <laughs> yeah. or crammed in the back of a shitty old splitter. It's only ever like, yeah, just getting on the jet. Yeah, people, wow, they must take a jet every day. Right. Like well, I've been on one jet once. And, and, and only because the tour manager went, what are you doing? I was like, oh, I don't know. I think I'm going to like stay in a crap hotel and get the bus in the morning. Oh, no, no. There's a seat on the jet. <gasps> is there? <Amazing. laughs> you know, I think it's, it is for the next 45 minutes. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, it, and that's not to say that that isn't amazing, because it is. But it's, it's, com- it's completely rare. It's, not, it's nothing, you know, it's, it couldn't be further from the norm right. than anything else. Right. You know? I think I, I love so, uh, I love what you keep coming back to, which is just set realistic expectations and set realistic goals. And and you know some people hear that and they say, well, oh, you you mean I shouldn't dream big? No, absolutely, you should dream big. But your your dreams and and are different from your expectations and your goals. Um, yeah, and and then you can surpass them, then can't you? Right. Like if if my if my expectation is to only play in arenas, I'm going to spend my entire life disappointed. Right. And I don't like feeling disappointed. I li- I like feeling elated. Mm-hmm. So. so if, if 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 my expectations are man, wouldn't it be great if I could make a career playing the drums? Then 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 I've met that because that's what I do. Mm-hmm. So that's brilliant, and I'm elated about it. And if as a part of that, I then get to play some big rooms or do some big TV shows or meet my heroes, you know, uh, and and then if, and then even better, get to play with them. Then then unbelievable, right? Like, wow, fucking hell! And now I'm constantly elated, right? <laughs> as opposed to as opposed to constantly being disappointed, like. Hey, so you did that arena gig? Yeah, but it wasn't with Sting. <laughs> like, <what>? Okay, <laughs> you know, I just think it's a, it's a funny thing. It is, it is, and I mean that's that's a lot of what we talk about is the mental and psychological game um, of of being a musician. And and I, you know, I, I was saying in an interview recently how I I feel like maybe my bar is too low. Like I feel like maybe sometimes I'm too easy to please in terms of. Um, you know what gig I'm playing or or the circumstances surrounding it, but I I think I'd rather err on that side and like you said, be constantly elated, be constantly surprised, be <laughs> constantly. I just ex- love pl- I just love playing drums. Yeah, yeah. And so and, and so it just like, I'm like someone said, what? Well, you know, did a master class and someone said, what if you don't like the music? What do you mean? music like well yeah but what if you hate the songs so well, i'll just turn it all off in the mix and just play with the bass player <laughs> you know, i just love i just love i just love the challenge of playing time i love i love sitting i love sitting behind the drum kit i love i love being with other people i like hanging out mm-hmm. i like you know mu- musically hanging out musically interacting it's kind of like well you know i can i can li- i can live with not loving the song right and all those things you said you love you you can get those on any type of gig there is, whether it's an arena or a pub or a wedding, exactly. like, you know, exactly. there's something to love yeah. about almost every gig. I think, I think you're right. If you've got, if you, if, and if you take that attitude, you'll always have a good time. And mm-hmm. if you're having a good time, it will be reflected in your playing. If you, if someone's grumpy or miserable, you can hear it, you right. can feel it. You can yep. feel that energy in, in the way they play music. Mm-hmm. And, and it, all it makes you think is, I want to play with that guy. <laughs> right. Well, Bob, it was great talking to you, man. Great meeting you digitally. You too, bro. I could talk to you all day. <laughs> we could, but we both have. You've you've got a daughter coming home. It sounds like, and and I've got. She's go in to... the background squeaking at me now. Oh, what wonderful. are you doing in that? <laughs> More drums. Talking about drums again. Yes. Yeah, I got to exactly. get off to a rehearsal here. Thank you for doing this. It was it was great talking to you. Oh, it's a pleasure, man. You too, and uh, good luck with everything. I think the podcast is wicked. Thank and, you so uh, much. Uh, long may it continue. Thank you. Thank you very much, man. All right. All the best, mate. See ya. Thanks again to Bob for that talk. He seems like someone we could maybe do a part two with. We'll see about that. 
Once again, be on the lookout for our May donation drive. That'll come with chances to win some great gear from our sponsors. Come on back next week for Matt Krause's interview. Thanks, as always, to Mike Jackson for his technical assistance, and thanks to you for listening. Cheers. Cheers.